for joining us on another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast, a movie review episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. We'll be breaking down a film, a new film, giving all our thoughts. And I'll be doing that with my co-host, Kirk. Hello, hello. I'm your other co-host, Cam. And we are here to break down a movie that Kirk has repeatedly called for the last two weeks, <laughs> Wendell and Wyclef. <laughs> I have no idea why, Kirk. Why? How did that even enter your brain? I don't know. I mean, I think I just really wanted it. There's a, there's a nice ring to it. It's a little bit more, you know, Wendell Jamaican? and Wild. Well, it's a little more Caribbean Wild? for you. Right. Why is his name Wild? Why couldn't he have had also another unique W name? Yeah. So, Wendell and Wyclef, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a big missed opportunity with it would be great keegan and uh and jordan <laughs> first name basis <laughs> yeah right Jamaican. jordan peele's character just has has like dreads and a and a beanie <laughs> and uh yeah i could see it i can see it um i love that so much i have i will probably call it Wendell and wyclef multiple times in this episode because that's how i have been referring to it in my home uh, since you mentioned that and I about died <laughs> laughing. So <laughs> I love it so much. And I always say it in a Jamaican accent because I just, I think it's great. So thank you for that. 30 years, 30 years from now, we're, we're looking <laughs> back, like, uh, we're, we're on, uh, the, the today show, like what's one of your favorite movies you've ever reviewed? Like, you know, uh, cause we're old. Yes. Uh, Wendell and Wyclef back in 2022 was a great one. Like, now, Wyclef, what? <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's what's coming. That's what's coming. It's great. Missed opportunity. You never know when these when these gems will be born into the world. They just kind of happen upon you. And this is one of those moments, and I just love it. I love it so much. So thank you, Kirk, for that. Um, we are going to be reviewing this film. It is available on Netflix, only streaming on Netflix as of uh, last Friday, October 28th, right in time for yes. Halloween. I thought they probably should have released it a little bit sooner because I think that changeover from Halloween to November 1st is like whiplash city. It's like <laughs> Halloween feels so foreign to you on November 1st. You're like, wait, what? Halloween? Um, yeah. So I felt when like they should have just out that, like <laughs> that morning. Yeah. We were literally, <laughs> we were literally trick or treating last night, Kirk, uh, both of our families together. And uh, I was putting my kids to bed tonight and, they wanted to read Halloween books and I was like, Halloween. That was, that was ages ago. And they're like, it was last night, dad. What, what are you talking about? Uh, that's how it feels. So I felt like yeah. they should have released this movie earlier. Yeah. I got to work and we all talked about, Oh, what'd your kids dress up? Did you dress up as great? Cool. Nice. Awesome. And then literally 30 minutes later, someone was messaging me and he goes, you think anyone's going to be offended if I turn on the Christmas music? Oh no, no, no. <laughs> We did it, Cam. No, we you, did it. You did not. You did not. We did. I said, I said, I'm not offended. And I listened to Mariah Carey at least four Ugh. times today, November 1st. That is despicable. Here's the thing. And I love Christmas music. But the reality is there are like 10 songs yeah. by various artists. And if you start on November 1st, I think you're about ready to end it all by December 14th. Like truly, my birthday. Oh yeah. That's, I don't know why that came to my mind. It was because it's your birthday, but like, seriously, I can't imagine. So I will be staying far away. Luckily I work from home where I, I, I get to choose my own music. Um, yeah, but man, 
thoughts and prayers for all the people who started the Christmas music today. That's rough. I'm going to talk to your wife and find the password and somehow maneuver <laughs> what you're actively playing to Christmas. Oh, I'm music. sure. I'm sure she's up there bumping it right now. I'm sure she's ready to go. <laughs> she, she, she loves Christmas almost more than any person I've ever met in my life. So um, yeah, who knows? But we're going to, before we turn the page on spooky season, we're going to, we're going to try to tap back into our Halloween mind frame, even though it's so, so Ooh. long ago. And we're going to review this film, Kirk. Like I said, it's on Netflix, so we will be sharing spoilers. If you have not seen Wendell and Wild, um, there, I, I guess there will be spoilers. I don't know what spoilers I'm going to bring up. I'm just saying I'm not trying to not spoil this movie. So it will yeah. probably get spoiled. Go watch it on Netflix. Almost everybody has Netflix, I think. Uh, so go do that and then come back and listen if you're worried about spoilers. But, Kirk, as we always do, we're going to give a brief synopsis of the movie. I'm going to turn the mic over to you to do that and uh, get us kicked off here. Is it wrong if I read it in a Jamaican accent? Should I not? I don't know what, uh, if that's allowed. I'm going to skip it. I'm gonna yeah, skip it. I, I, <laughs> I immediately felt weird about doing it earlier, though. I think accents should be fair game, right? Um, I think so. I don't know. It's a weird, weird world we're living in nowadays, Kirk. We'll just stay away what from if it. I, what if I read it in three different accents, like Perfect. back to back to back? Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Oh, I, you, you're always fair to read like an, in an Irish accent because no one cares about the Irish because true. they're they're depressed people that no one cares about. So if you're ever curious or nervous about <laughs> what not to do, read it in an Irish. They're the accent. punching today, bags of the world. They really are. I, I mean, I take a lot of hits. I gotta say, <laughs> I gotta say. Oh, let's just read it normally. Here we go. This is from an incredibly unique and uh, very niche website that no one's ever heard of imdb.com uh, this is the synopsis that they've Ooh, put forth in the world yes listen carefully <sighs> two scheming demon brothers wendell and wild not wyclef enlist the aid of 13 year old cat elliot to summon them to the land of the living now streaming on netflix 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 yeah, that's that's a decent synopsis. I think that's good. I think it's the best one to do. I I thought about it um, as I as I do. I stress about every movie we, we watch just in case you suddenly say, "Hey, Kirk, uh, give me the synopsis." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, "If we if it comes to me, I'm reading this synopsis off the website. I'm yeah. not doing it. Uh, it's it's hard. This one's hard to it, to put into words. I agree. And after after my performance, I really lowered the bar on synopses after my black my black Adam synopsis. If you haven't listened to that one, go Stop. back because it's hilarious. Uh, I listened to it and laughed out loud at how poorly I I described that movie. <laughs> but is that is that really a bad mark on me or is it a bad mark on the writers? I think it could go either way. It's, the it's movie. probably me, but who knows. Um, Anywho, I think this is good. I, this movie is extremely layered in terms of its plot. There are tons of moving pieces going on, which we will get into. So I think going with a simple plot synopsis is the right way to go before we get into this. But Kirk, this is an animated film, stop motion animation. Henry Selleck, who is the director, is of course the director of uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas as well as Coraline. Those are probably his two best known films. And this is his first feature film since Coraline. Um, this film is also rated PG-13, which is um, pretty rare in the animated space. Uh, you get 
lots of G and PG movies. You get a decent amount of rated R movies as well in the animated space. Um, but PG-13 is a rarity. Uh, Isle of Dogs, I guess, was the last one to do that as a stop-motion film. So there you go, Wes Anderson. Um, but this is a stop-motion animated movie, so worth mentioning that as we evaluate our acting performances. Kirk, you'll get us kicked, kicked off with your first award, and the Oscar goes to for which voice acting performance? My Oscar tonight goes to Miss Lyric Ross. You may know that name from the incredibly popular TV series called This Is Us. That's right. Only the first like four seasons. After that, it gets really fuzzy. Once they hit the COVID season, it's just downhill. Sadly, sadly downhill. But Lyric uh, she plays uh, Deja in that show, and she plays our main character. If you're watching online right now, she plays the character directly to my oh, wrong way. To my, it's <laughs> so hard. It's so hard to point the right way on the camera. Um, she is in the direction I'm pointing to in the camera. I don't even want to say left and right. I don't know if this will mirror the opposite way. She's the main character. Her name is Cat, and Cat is up against uh, the world. I mean, devastatingly, her parents both pass away pretty much immediately in the first five minutes. A very loving family. Uh, spoiler alert! <laughs> and she has to pick up the pieces with the rest of her life. So she's very young when they die, and she has to navigate life with no moral direction. And she's marked. Uh, during during this, uh, marked with with these uh, these demons, Wendell and Wyclef, they they decide that that's their gateway, that's their path uh, because of this uh, this trauma, this grief. This isn't like a window uh, sort of sort of deal. Uh, at least that's how I interpret it. I don't know if that's correct. Uh, so she she uh, consistently delivers. Um, you just feel that when you watch an animated movie, if you can hear the actor's voice, it's wrong. But if you can separate that entirely, and in, in the best cases, not even know who the actor is voicing it, then you have struck gold. And I think that's what we get here with Lyric Ross. Uh, another one I want uh, that's very easy for me to say, if you've seen the movie Sing, that's S-I-N-G, uh, with, uh, the, I can't remember his name, but the lead, the lead guy, he's a mouse. It's Matthew McConaughey uh, is the lead character in that. And he does not sound like him, like his own self at all. Not a single beat in that movie sounds like Matthew McConaughey. And he has 50% of the lines. This is the same situation. You In a million years, no one would guess that this is lyric ross because she looked at the image that was drawn that was created that the character itself and she uh constructed a voice that matched that so well so lyric ross bravo yeah i'm gonna pile on because this one was so easy i thought lyric ross was exceptional i thought this was a, a genuinely just a really great voice acting performance i'm, I'm gonna talk about her character because i think that um her character falls into an archetype that is becoming, in my opinion, extremely tired, which is like the disassociated teen who is, um, you know, det detached from her surroundings and, and cares about nothing, values nothing, and is just kind of like, you know, devil may care attitude about whatever. Uh, in this case, her character had a, had a great arc um, and a, a good basis for that feeling, so it wasn't that She's just like another angsty teen. Like she really was a trauma victim um, and someone who ha who harbors a lot of guilt for the way that her parents passed on. And I thought the way that Lyric Ross portrayed that was so genuine and, and really lovely and, and gave a, a nice window 
into how people feel uh, whenever they've experienced something like that. It was it was pretty remarkable how she was able to convey uh, the very complex range of emotions that someone like this would feel um, from guilt, sadness, anger, um, self-loathing, so many different things happening here. And with the delivery of each line and, and what she's saying and why she's saying it, because she is a character of few words, she really only speaks when spoken to or when talking about something that is valuable, like resurrecting her parents, um, that's really all you're ever going to get out of her. And she chose, because her character doesn't speak often, she made sure that the delivery of each line was intentional. And, and that intentionality is what made the difference here for this performance. I was very impressed by Lyra Cross. Um, she's a young actor out there doing great work, uh, looking through her credits uh, you know, I haven't seen much of what she's been in. I know that she's going to be in the Ironheart series that's coming out for Disney Plus and the MCU. Excited about that. I thought this was a great voice acting performance from a young actor. I was very impressed. Great job, Lear Cross. Way, way right. good job. Let's uh, let's move over to Scene Stealer. Talk about what was a really fun uh, voice cast. Lots of different voices that you will remember and uh know from from past experience and and people who have who've been in the voice acting world before kirk uh who was it who stuck out to you miss angela bassett ladies and gentlemen uh what's funny about angela bassett is that pre black panther everyone knew who angela bassett was in fact she was kind of consistently like the, like a joke, almost like Angela Bassett. <laughs> like, not I don't know what it was, but there's lots of media out there that their her name would just get dropped. And I don't know if that was like a call to action for her uh, because she had already done incredible, remarkable work in, in the 90s and even early 2000s. And then out of nowhere, she is just this unstoppable force again. And when she comes on screen, whether it's, full full blown live action or just her voice she is not messing around and her as sister helly's voice in this uh, film is powerful you already have a great production design with her um you got you got a couple of different uh, of the older characters that almost look like they're carved out of wood the way their their cheekbones are are ra- raised and you have these little they're standing up on stilts almost across their their chin line to their cheekbones it's so cool and that kind of um, that kind of reminder uh, or indicator of, uh, of of a wise person, and you have Angela Best's voice just kind of uh, team out of it. It's it's very compelling, and when she speaks, oh my gosh, you listen, <laughs> you can't do anything else but listen. And so, really, it's just like the absolute definition of scene stealer. I was just immediately. Uh, like full, uh, full alert. Like, uh, like I was doing something wrong when she came on screen. Like, oh, I better act up. I better listen. I better drop what I'm doing. I better not waver on thinking about the other elements of the film and how I'm going to analyze it. I'm like, Angela is speaking. Stop everything. Bravo, Miss Angela Bassett. Yeah, I like that pick. I like that pick a lot. It's definitely on my short list. Um, I'm giving my flowers and, and my scene stealer to somebody whose career I have really enjoyed and somebody who 
very rarely turns in a performance that I turn my nose up at, and that's uh, Mr. Keegan-Michael Key, who played yes. Wendell in this film. They've got this great, um, you know, Key, Key and Peele star in this movie, uh, for those of you who are f- familiar with their wildly popular Comedy Central sketch comedy series. Uh, it was really cool to see them back acting side by side, even if it was as animated demons. Um, it was great to have their banter back, but the the sort of back and forth and and relationship they have here as scene partners is that uh, Wild, as his name would suggest, is completely insane and, and is constantly throwing out, um, this is Jordan Peele's character, by the way, constantly throwing out these nonsensical, um, non sequitur <laughs> type things, just like really saying whatever pops into his head and saying so with, with crazy inflection, leaving Keegan-Michael Key's character wild as, as sort of the straight man who has to react to this. And so the, in my opinion, Jordan Peele's character can do whatever he wants. I mean, he has no rules and it's Keegan, Michael Key's character who is responsible for reacting in such a way that the back and forth works and, and being a good straight man, as we've talked about probably ad nauseum on, on this show is a difficult thing to do, especially probably in the animated medium. Um, and I thought that he just did so great. And, and he manages to make, to elevate so many of their scenes where they're kind of discussing their plans back and forth. He just totally elevated it into a new stratosphere by, um, you know, stumbling over his words because he's trying to get the wheels in his head back turning after hearing whatever weird thing Wilde just said. Um, he, he does so many subtle nuanced things that, that make this work. And I know that he's very studious, uh, in, in his performances. And I know that that's none of it was unintentional or, or, or whatever he, he really was working at this. So that just makes me all the more excited based on what I know about him. So I, you know, if I have a chance, I'm always going to give Keegan Michael key his flowers because I, I just find him to be a really, really talented, gifted performer. And, and this was no different. His performance as wild was excellent and uh, had to be good in order for that relationship to work. And it was. Beautiful. All righty. Let's move into the production. I'm excited about this because I think that, um, you know, it's not often that a stop motion feature length film makes its way into the mainstream in a way that, you know, we would be talking about it on this show. So I'm excited to get into it. I'm sure the art will come up, but let's do the good and the bad. Like we always do. We're going to start with showstopper, which is the thing about the movie that we loved or that really, sold it for us versus uh, we'll follow it up with director shoes, which is things we would change. Kirk, what was your showstopper? My showstopper has to go to the color palette specifically. Um, what we've seen from Henry Selick in the past are mute, not muted, but definitely darker tones. You see all of the colors uh, of the worlds uh, in Nightmare Before Christmas and Coraline, but this, I mean, it's really vibrant. And I think that's something that is so important now versus back in the 90s and early 2000s because we have such better technology to capture a wider spectrum of colors. So back then it was like, oh yeah, this looks incredible. This is a dark a dark movie. I want the grays and the, and the dark navy blues and black, of course, and dark overcast gray. But now we get these ominous purples and reds and blues and greens of all different sorts uh from from everything from from tickle me pink to oh what's another silly silly color cam do you know another one off the top of your head periwinkle 
periwinkle. I mean, all over the place. It's it's so it's so great to see that and still be able to tell a darker story about demons and possession and zombification, all of these these elements, and still be able to to keep it uh, dark with such bright colors it's it's a it's a hard thing to really put your finger on but the color palette on this was done quite well very impressive yes i like that pick um i think it's something you could easily overlook um i think it's but at the same time it's something that sticks out so much like i think you expect something like that to be good but it's truly it's truly exceptional in this movie and 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 very vibrant um so i I love that pick it was definitely something that jumped out to me as well for my showstopper, I think like at first I, it was hard for me to get over just like the overall mastery of the medium that Henry Selleck flexes in this movie. And you're, you're automatically drawn to that because this is, and I do want to dwell on it for a second before I do jump into my showstopper. This is great stop motion work. I mean, even by his standards, which are obviously exceptionally high when you think about he's responsible for, probably the most famous stop motion movie ever in the nightmare before Christmas. Um, I don't know, maybe that's hyperbolous, but I think it's way up there. Um, but this was really good work. I thought there were a lot of like somewhat high octane sequences in which they're like riding a carriage at a high speed or doing things at a high speed that you just don't typically see them do in stop motion. So, I mean, obviously I was drawn to the artwork, which I thought was exceptional, both in terms of design and execution, but the thing that stuck out to me was actually more story-related than art-related, um, oh. which is unexpected, and that was uh, characters, specifically. I thought the characters um, and the way that they all seemed like they were going to fall into these very specific archetypes, uh, but they subverted that. So you've got all these characters that you expect to fall into a very specific archetype, meaning like, You've got Sister Helly, who you expect to be the strict nun uh, teacher at the all-Catholic or, or, you know, the Catholic all-girls school, um, who actually is like a uh, hell maiden who who, uh, summons demons and is helping this child through a journey. It's like, oh, that turned it on its head. You've got the three girls who meet uh, Kat, or as they call her, KK, whenever she arrives at the school. Um, Shaban and and her friends who you expect to be like the typical mean girls who are going to razz our character and and cause issues. And they're not, they actually are very kind. And Shaban is like such a caring individual. And I love that because it, first of all, it's not lazy, which is the best. I love when people are being thoughtful and developing rich characters without just being like, Oh, you know, that one character that everybody always has, that's kind of like this. And the second was, the intentionality, again, I'll use that word, of taking a character and saying, you think this character is going to be this thing. And guess what? It's not. And, and, and that becomes such a helpful plot tool because you can use the viewer's brain against themselves. You can trick them into thinking something that's going to happen is going to happen when it wasn't. And you never said that it was, but their own brain told them that it was because they have seen, they think they have seen this character before. I love that. I, I you know, I've seen it done in, um, you know, live action media, uh, but, but not in an animated format like this. And I thought that that was great, really good character work. And um, I loved it. I thought, I thought it was exceptional. Yay. All right. Let's flip over. 
Let's be bad cop now, Kirk. Let's talk about director shoes. What do you got? What notes do you have for uh, Mr. Henry Selleck? You know, it was hard to put my finger on it because the spectacle of this movie is very entrancing. And I'm just like, what, what don't I like about this movie? Like if, like, why isn't it a 10 out of 10? And I believe that there are too many characters. Yes. Too many characters. You have this movie titled Wendell and wild. And I don't feel like they actually take the spotlight. Um, it's very odd to me. They get lots, they get enough screen time, but really this is Kat's story. And I was just very baffled by um, all the different people we met and then having to stop and see all of their character arcs. I understand that um, Henry Selleck wanted to, you know, enhance, be, you know, do the best work that he's ever done before. As you try to do, uh, you have to be better than your last work while still making it a, a solid iconic piece in your portfolio. But I feel like there were some characters in here and I'm not even going to pick any, uh, cause it's kind of too hard. Uh, there's a couple of characters that you could just like kick out and then there's less noise there. It's it's they're just not on the uh, the same path. There's like all these different people who I'm sure if I looked a little bit deeper it there, each of those relationships would be symbolic of Kat's journey and what she needs in her life, um, which I love to talk about and find those things. But I feel like you could have merged some of those together and really cleaned this up. There are too many characters. It took away from the story. It was a little bit too long for me. That's all I got for today. I like that you said clean this up. Um, that fits well into my director's shoes, Kirk, because my director's shoes is simply that this movie's a mess. It's a bit of a mess with the subplots. Um, it it never fully gels. Uh, it's it's unfortunate because you know to your point, the artistic mastery is there and and then some. It really is a great looking film, but they totally unequivocally got lost in the sauce with this movie. I think they had, they were overambitious thematically and plot-wise in terms of what they were trying to accomplish with this movie. And I think that there were so many different subplots that were sort of half-baked in this movie that it really leaves you with this unfinished feeling at the end because you don't know what, you don't know what resolution you're looking for, actually. It's like, do we want her parents alive? Do we want her okay with the trauma? Do we want Wendell and Wilde to have their goal? Do we want the Claxons to lose? Do we want all of that? Do we want, and why, you know? <laughs> what sort of closure are we looking for? And and you feel a little bit at the end like you didn't get it because there were too many things that just never were fully hashed out. Um, and for me, I really think that they should have boiled this down to a concise thesis. And my theory is that they had one uh, at the, at the outset. So at the beginning of the movie, I think it might even be the first line that you hear Lyric Ross's character, Kat say, she says, everybody's got demons, but my demons have names. And I'm like, boom, thesis of the movie. That's it right there. Right. We've all got our demons. We have demons inside of ourselves. We have demons in the world around us that try to bring us down. But she's saying you can use your demons. You can work with your demons. My demons have names, right? Like my demons are Wendell and wild 
and they're my boys. You know, like we actually work together toward a common goal. Your demons don't have to be demons. You can name them. You can know why they're there. I felt like that thesis was right there. And I felt like that was the one they probably wanted to take and run with at the beginning. But then you add in all these different things about like, I mean, I come back to the corporate one about the, the, the Claxons wanting to build their private prisons um, and, and squeeze the town for all their money and, and state funding. I was like, I don't know what purpose that really serves. Certainly that's a, you know, a common theme of, you know, the evil corporate overlords, uh, money, greed, whatever. But within the, within the confines of cat and her story, um, it has loose ties to her parents with the brewery and everything, but I think it could have gone. I think they, they could have left all that out with the burning down the brewery. Um, cause it really didn't have anything to do with the death of her parents. It kind of happened in the, the aftermath of the death of her parents. But again, like there are just so many things here. And then this theme that they tried to bring together with Raul's paintings on the rooftops of like, it's, it's a parent protecting its child as all parents try to do. Like they literally even say that. I think that's like an actual line from the movie. And I'm like, Oh, is that, is that something you're trying to drive home here? I think you could have left that out. I think really they should have just stuck with everybody's got demons. My demons have names because that line is highly interpretive. It can be twisted multiple different ways. You can, it means different things to different people and it's really rich. It's simple. Um, and they got lost in sauce. Simple as that. They added too much, got overly ambitious, and the thing um, suffers, I think, greatly uh, because of it, which is which is a shame. I love that line. I love that line so much. It's so good. It's it rich, is. man. It's good stuff. It's just like, and, and that's oh. what's frustrating. Because it's the first line of the movie, right? You know that like that is what was on the storyboard. <laughs> you know, like that was, yeah. the, that was the idea for the movie and the concept, and you're like, you had it, you know, you, like it was right there. You had, you had the concept, but you just, yeah. you bloated it too much. Um, which is a shame. Cause then you get all this weird um, world building stuff that they have to add in to support their story. Like the, the bears above and the, um, the Belzer guy. Um, yep. Yep. And, and uh, the, the weird janitor guy who is yes. like collecting demons, you get all these different characters and, and, and subplots that don't serve that goal. They don't serve that mission. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's, that's my rant on director's shoes, but that's basically yeah. how I felt. Well, it's great. You articulated it perfectly. Thank you, sir. Let's move on to our final segment, which is final thoughts and scores. This is going to be, I think this is going to be a tricky one, Kirk. I'm excited to hear your final thoughts. Not much left on this. I think we've dissected it very well tonight. Not that we don't ever do an incredible job, but... Pat us on the back. Good stuff. Just, uh, I'm, I'm reaching to pat your back. Thanks, right man. There. Do you feel it? I needed that. It? I needed that this Other week. side, left and right. Okay, cool. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go. Just coughing into the mic. Hope you're okay. Love it. <laughs> Hope you didn't crash your car, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, or like mow the wrong part of your lawn. Or, you know, if you're making dinner, slice off something that shouldn't be sliced. Uh, it really just gets, um, we hit, we are just, just, uh, 
writing in gas, right? Like, like flooring it in gas. Once we hit that first line, you're like, take me wherever you want to go with that first line. And then somewhere along the line, we shift into neutral and we're just kind of floating through this world that Henry uh, just wants to just like show us. That's, that's really what it comes down to. There's too many characters. It's, it's jumbly, it's messy, but beautiful. And, a lot of the times we tell you just because a movie is beautiful and in an incredible technical feat, don't give it a high score. Hashtag Avatar. But this one, the story is good enough where it supersedes that. I would give Avatar a lower score than what I'm about to give Wendell and Wild. The story just gets lost. They don't know what they're doing. Exactly what Cam said. I have the exact same feelings. But it's really pretty, so I'm gonna have to weigh on that because every everything's subjective and everything is different. This gets a six point one out of ten kernels today. Yeah, it's a good score. Um, it, it's it's so hard, Kirk, because I, I like what you said about how like it's really pretty. It, it, sometimes that's all it takes to make a movie watchable. You know, like does this movie feel rewatchable? Kind of, actually. Um, like. I would potentially like this would be a good vibe for Halloween next year. I don't know. Um, maybe not the top of my list, but it does enough to feel like you want to feast your eyes on it again, because that's what it is. It kind of is a feast for the eyes. Like it's, it's a lovely movie. The artwork is thoughtful, unique, beautiful, vibrant, all, all of the adjectives. It's uh, it's really creative and, feels different than what Henry Selleck has done in the past, which is cool. I love when people keep innovating. That's important. Um, don't just play your hits. Always try to try to do new stuff. And yeah, so it, it, it's a toughie. I do think that the story stuff is a bummer. Um, I think it hurts it for sure because I think that I actually had to go back and rewatch certain scenes and be like, okay, what's happening with her hand? Why is it green? Why is it pulling her? Why did it cover her mouth and say like, I swear, <laughs> whatever, like what, what is this? And rewound only to find that like, they just didn't really explain it well. And you just kind of have to figure it out. So that's, that's a bummer. Um, so I waffled on this a lot. I am giving it a 5.8 out of 10 kernels, um, which hurts me because I do think it's, it's lovely, and that feels like a low score to me. But when I when I sat down in the aftermath of this movie and tried to make sense of um, it and and where it left us, and even the fact, as simple as you said, Kirk, the movie's called Wendell and Wild, and I don't think it's their story. Um, that that hurts it too, because that's kind of a misnomer. It's just like a marketing title, <laughs> which is frustrating. Um, when when I grappled with what this movie really is, I, I can't give it much higher than that because I think that the story suffers, um, which is a shame because they really had a strong concept that just didn't, didn't come to full fruition. I wonder if it's out there, Kirk, is it out there in the edit somewhere? Is there, are there scenes that got cut that shouldn't have and scenes that got added that shouldn't have? And I mean, is it, does it exist? I don't know, but, um, that's where I'm at 5.8 out of 10. Right, right. Very nice. I, you know, I almost think that if you're going to name the the demons, it can't just be Wendell and Wild. You should have figured out a creative way to say Wendell and Wild and not Sister Helly, but Buffalo Bells or like name a few more, like make it yeah. super crazy. I don't know uh, versus that. So ah, it's a yeah. bummer. It's a bummer for sure. Rewatchable still. I agree. I agree. Uh, it's 
you know, it's flawed. I, I think I think nearly fatally flawed. <laughs> you know, I, I, it doesn't completely fall apart, so that I don't want to be too too crazy, but it is still enjoyable to to take a look at. Yeah, and as the as the resident non uh not like super into animated for more for like adults, you know, like past or, or teenagers, you know. Yeah, this is not your medium. This. this is not your medium, I would say. It's not mine and I'm I'm a I'm like, "Whoa, okay. Well, I didn't love it. I did the same thing as you. I did have to rewatch certain segments. Uh and now all the while I'm thinking like this just went straight to Cam's brain and he digested it and he'll have perfect <laughs> oh, words and he he lives this. He he consumes it left and right. And I, I I'm a little I'm happy to hear that you were in the same world as me for your viewing as well. Yeah, I think that um, I'll be interested to read some other reviews of this movie because I do think that based on what I had seen in my Twitter feed, it, it got mostly favorable reviews. So I'll be interested to hear what other people's interpretations are. Um, and what your interpretation are. If, if you listen to it and you're like, oh man, I don't agree. I don't agree that it was messy. I think it made perfect sense. You are definitely smarter than us, I would say, if that is the case. And I want your wisdom. Uh, so share it with us. And we will probably be reviewing another Netflix movie next week, Kirk, in Enola Holmes 2. But we shall see. Key, uh, stay, stay posted on our social media to see what we will be reviewing. We'll be sure to let you know as soon as we decide uh, but until that time we're going to leave you with a uh, special thanks to our executive producer ryan spriggs as well as his band rhetoric you're hearing right now thank you so much for listening to this review and we will see you guys next week talk to you then